0: Golden West Radio now brings you the Lawn and Garden Journal. Get your questions ready. Our toll-free line is open at 1-800-374-3315. Now, here's your host, Carla Hersina from St. Mary's Nursery and Garden Center.
1: Welcome back, everyone, to the Lawn and Garden Journal for September. We're back at it. We're back to work. Yeah. Back to school and back to gardening. September is a time where we have this renewed energy, where we can start being back in the garden and getting the things rolling and going again. So September is such a beautiful month. So please listen to this poem. It is all about September days. Oh, months of fairer, rarer days than summer's best have been when skies at noon are burnished blue and winds of evening keen. When tangled, tardy, blooming things From wild waste places peer, And droopy golden grain heads tell That harvest time is near, Though autumn tints amid the green Are gleaming here and there, And spicy autumn odors float Like incense in the air, And sounds we mark as autumn's own Near nearing steps betray, In gracious mood she seems to stand And bid the summer stay. Though neath the trees and fallen leaves the sword of lightly strown, and nests deserted tell the tale of summer bird folk flown, though white with frost the lowlands lie when lifts the morning haze, still there's a charm in every hour of sweet September days. This tells us that September is here and we're back into it, but there's so many different things that could be contributed to fall the memory of how our summers went and what we need to do and target and where we're going to be going from there but before we start going into that we're going to go right to the lines it seems that like it's going to be a busy day so we're going to go right to the lines hi mary how are you fine and you i'm very well thank you very much for asking did Help you have me? a good holiday well you know what i had a i did have a little bit of a break but I did say um, I'm sorry why I wasn't here for the last couple shows because i my mom was uh, um, a little bit under the weather and I was helping to care for her, so but we're back, everything is good, and uh, i'm it was kind of nervous. I had a hiccup this morning with the show, but it's we're back on the lawn and garden journal oh that's great <laughs> yeah, so um how was your summer, and how can we help you with the on the lawn and garden journal Oh, well,
2: summer was great. Oh, I got you know a, a rose bush
0: in a pot. Okay. So wh- when's the best time to plant it? to re- transplant
1: it. Well, if you want to, if it's not making that nice, beautiful display on your deck or patio, any time now would be a good portion to start taking some of those plants and getting them nestled into the areas that you're wanting them. Uh, oh, it's
0: still in full bloom.
1: Oh, okay. Okay. Well, that's going to be up to you because we do not want to leave it too long uh, if you're wanting to place. Now, are you going to, do you want to keep it in the pot or do you want to put it into the garden? I'll put it into my flower bed. Yeah. So you could probably do that at almost any time. I wouldn't leave it until late October uh, because you want to put a little bit of bone meal in there and get the roots slowly started on it. Though, When saying that, we also sometimes are able to plant late into the fall that's on it, but you have the total option because, A, um, you know, it's a portion of it that if you want to do it early, you can. Uh, I like to see things going in uh, so that it starts to get a little bit of anchorage and rooting going on that new product so that you have an advanced uh, growth for the following year. And do I have to use bone wheel? You can use bone meal. Bone meal is a general um, fertilizer for good for root development. If you have a uh, root rescue or uh, there's another one uh, that's out there called Garden Mike that helps to create mycorrhizal attachments on the roots that encourage root establishment. Um, these are new things that are on the block. Bone meal is not new, but it's been known to encourage that root growth. It's up to you whether you want to enhance that growth. Or old school, just plant it in good, healthy uh, blend of good soil and it will also anchor. Well, my soil has some sheep manure in it and compost. And Well, that sounds like it would be good. <laughs> okay. Okay. Thank you very much. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you for calling okay. in, Mary. Bye bye. Bye bye. Now, before we go to Rose on the next line, I should mention that in some instances we do have these big, beautiful containers that. We either have hostas or roses and that kind of stuff that we'd like to keep growing on our patios for that nice big show. And every year, if you start fresh, you don't get that big, wow, kaboom, beautiful bloom that's happening. So years ago, I used to do, and it's a little bit of a trick that you can do, is you can actually winter some of your containers, and it depends on the size of the pot, is by placing the, the item in the pot into the ground and mounding stuff around it. I used to do it years ago with hostas and you know with hostas if you buy a new one it does not give you that big show. So I would take my three gallon pot, I would put my hostas which would be big and beautiful and each season lift that, slightly dig those containers into the ground and let it go into the dormancy stage. So the opportunity would be that for the next season as I popped that plastic pot out of the ground the hostas would emerge, and I would have this glorious show again. So there's always a way of uh, encouraging and bringing perennials and shrubs to the patio that can be a big show. Okay? That's a little bit of a hint for you. Next, we're going to go up to Nadia. Hi, Nadia. How are you? Hi, I'm fine. How are you? Very good. <laughs> how are you? And, oh, right. I already asked you. How are you? But how was your summer? And... How can we help you on the lawn and garden
0: trip? My summer was good. It was just around around the areas here, but it was good. Uh, anyhow, I have a bunch of herbs in pots, and they're outside right now. But what can I do so I can save them for spring again? Do I have to, when I bring them inside, do I have to water them, or do I just leave them, or what do I do?
1: Okay, with herbs, and that's nice because, we, you know, having the culinary aspect of different types of things, we want to be able to keep those going so that we have that freshness. If you have your herbs, you can bring them indoors. Now, herbs can be a little bit tricky because, A, they need as much bright light as you can give them. Yeah. A lot of herbs are Mediterranean in style, like your rosemary's, um... Uh, basil is another one that really needs that bright bright light so if you can preserve some of them in their pots Mm -hmm. and put them into a big or an area that you have bright light you can continue the growth that's on them okay um some do good indoors here some do not do as well indoors Mm -hmm. but I find that if you can give them as much light as you can now thinking of that too you're going to have to cut back on your watering on some of these because a lot of, if you know some herbs like to be watered, but they can go a little bit drier between some yes. waterings. Yes. You know, uh, your sages, your oreganos, uh, definitely your uh, rosemaries and your lavenders. Those you want to go on a little bit more of the drier side. And when you think of it, um, some rosemaries, some people actually grow them to the point where they can become little topiary trees for holiday um displays oh because yeah they look beautiful yeah you can imagine just little topiary balls yeah <laughs> that's on there i could just see them sitting on a mantelpiece matching little topiary <laughs> rosemary balls that's on there so there is the success of it like you cannot just take it in like um you know like uh, our gladiola bulbs and our dahlia bulbs we can't yeah. just sit them and put them into the darkness yeah. they have to have a continuance
0: Okay, and uh, how about um, I have old yeast, and what can I use it for? Can I use it
1: for flowers or what? (laughs) You have which, sorry? Old yeast. Old yeast? Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, That I don't know. Um, I've never heard of that. If you're putting it, like you're thinking of composting it or adding it to...
0: Yeah, what can I do instead of just throwing it in the garbage? Can I use it for something? in the garden or, or will it do anything or it won't do
1: anything at all or that is a good question i've never you know what i've never heard like it seems like it should be a natural component so it should be able to go into the compost but i've never heard of yeast being used as either amendment
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, for plants or an additive yeah so well you know what let's put a shout out to everyone that's out there does um yeast become a power for your garden you know um or the flowers
0: or or in the indoor or whatever i don't know
1: <laughs> yeah you know what there's there's something about it because if you just like if we had this little conversation around a cup of tea it's kind of like energy um to me yeast would have the energy there's something that causes a yeah. well you have a reaction from it right yeah right so in someone in, in my mind that if you have sort of a reaction with something there's got to be a um, you know, effect that's exactly. caused by yeah, it. Yeah, you know, um sometimes you get bio um, bio products or bio fertilizers that can be a rend yeah. issue of this. But I can't comment. You know what? I'm going to totally look that up.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you very much. Okay. You know and what? You a get nice us. You and get a nice us thinking. <laughs> okay. You too. Okay. Bye bye.
1: Okay. Bye bye. You're listening to the Lawn and Garden Journal, and I can feel the energy out there because everyone is calling in. We love the calls because it's questions and answers that we can give to each other and share amongst ourselves. So we're going to go right back to the lines. Esther is up next. Good morning, Esther. Is Esther there? Well, maybe Esther is not there. Okay, we're going to go. And with this that's happening that's on it, we see that, uh, okay, is Esther there now? I've just said that yeah. Esther is there. Hi, Esther. How are you?
3: Just fine. Very good. Annabelle hydrangea. Why do some of the heads not turn white? They stay green.
1: Uh, With the changing of the Annabelle hydrangeas, uh, it could be partially due to uh, the composition of your soils. So... uh, Plants take up different properties from the ground at different times through different stemming. So I know that some of them will ha- have that greenish tinge and they don't go to that crisp, crisp white. No. Um, how old is the plant?
3: Uh, I'm t- I don't know. I've taken this, moved it and taken cuttings off it, so I don't know how old it is. But it has been white other years and this year they're green.
1: Okay, so um, it could be maybe the soil that's in there and there could be properties because if you think of um, the soil and the plant's abilities to take things up into their structures, it has to flow up there by liquid form for that energy. So, the again, the properties from the soil probably did not get up into the structure of your plant because, A, if it was lack of moisture, that could be causing it. Uh, environmental factors like uh heat can also throw things off that's on it. So there could be other different things that could be just, you know, causing that slight change in the pH or what the the plant needs to be able to make that color change.
3: Well this year was heat and, and lack of moisture.
1: Yeah. So- yeah. This year was a very big anomaly that was in there. And even, um, one of the things I was going to mention is, uh, hydrangeas that's on there. I, I was away for a few weeks and I came back. We have a, a vanilla strawberry. Have you ever heard of vanilla strawberry hydrangea?
3: I, I just cut some this morning for church tomorrow.
1: Oh, I, <laughs> I love them. So yes. did you get, have you gotten yours into that deep, uh, almost that burgundy tone yet, or are they still sort of nope, pinky-white? No.
3: They're, they're, they're just turning pinky from the bottom. It's, it's a two-tone now
1: yet with the pink and the white. Okay. So if you, like, let's just let everyone know, because it's one of my favorite hydra- hydrangeas that's in yes. there, that it is a hydrangea. It is a paniculata type. It's got um, sort of a cone-shaped head mm-hmm. that's to it. But as it opens up, but I have to say, Ours here at the garden center, it's glorious in bloom, but it did not create as big of uh, flower heads as what it normally does. Normally, they're about almost 10 to 12 inches in height. This year, we see that maybe the environmental factors has shortened that again. I think it's due to the moisture. So we have these six-inch flower heads that were crisp white all the way through to July and into August that it almost like the rocket, uh, I, um, popsicles, you know, how they change color oh, from yeah. one level to the other. But mm-hmm. I have to say that, uh, driving in yesterday, uh, it is like this burgundy deep pink and it with still some new heads coming that have that white to pink. So if you're mm-hmm. looking for, and isn't it beautiful how things can transition with fall to different colors, you know? It is a, yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. Well, you know what? The church is going to be very lucky to have all those beautiful blossoms.
3: Okay. Thank you. I'd like to just give the Hannibal more fertilizer, more water, whatever he wants next year. So.
1: Yeah. Well, hydrangeas are acidic-loving plants. They like the evergreens. Uh, Mm -hmm. you know, your juniper, cedars, uh, blueberries, dogwoods, azaleas. They like that high acidic content. So if Mm -hmm. you're not um, fertilizing with a high nitrogen fertilizer sometimes i take the fallings from my uh i have uh, evergreens that are about 35 years old of my cedars. so i take some of the droppings and i put them underneath my uh um my hydrangeas just to make the soil a little bit more acidic and to add the protection of if we do get moisture it makes a nice nice mulch for underneath too as well Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. okay
3: good I'll try that for next year. Thank you. It's too late now to give it fertilizer, right? It doesn't need any now anymore.
1: No, stop fertilizing. Okay. That's okay. You know what? Right. Okay. Uh the light bel- the light the light bulb just went off. Uh fertilizing should be stopping now on uh, our trees and our shrubs. Uh, mm-hmm. for the different re- rationale because if you notice some of the trees and shrubs are starting to get that little hint of yellow to them. So fall is here that means they are starting their dormancy pattern so we want to allow them to enter their dormancy pattern naturally because if you encourage them to keep blooming and to keep growing if we do get that early winter they do not have time to have that natural shutdown so fertilizing stops on trees and shrubs uh and just let them go naturally into their dormant state okay thank you okay thank you esther bye bye So just again, conversation starting, it gives us little hints and tips for everyone to know the natural cycle of what we should be doing for caring for our gardens. And in different aspects, it's like, okay, you know, when do I fertilize? When do I stop fertilizing? But trees and shrubs, yes, stop fertilizing. But there's still opportunity if you want to be out there and feeding and uh, nurturing. It's our our container baskets and our, our patio pots. There is that renewed energy in them and you can see that they're starting to crispen up again. The cooler temperatures allow them to sort of set it. But that's a conversation that we can have too as well by trimming things up and not making them as long and cascading. But you know what? There's still a lot of time for gardening ahead. So let's take Mary. Mary is next on the line. Good morning, Mary.
2: Good morning. Good morning. Um, we picked our yellow onions towards the end of July, hung them out to dry, and now they're rotting from the bottom up. Ooh. They've done this now for a couple years, so, and I've spoken to other people and they've got the same problem. What do I do?
1: Oh, okay. Um, and you're allowing the roots to immediately dry out after harvesting? Yep. You lay them out and you let them dry? Yeah. on it?
2: And now hang them up and let them continue drying and whatnot, but they're rotting from the bottom up. Like every day, there's a couple.
1: Oh, my gosh. Okay. Um, All right. Have you started? Have you looked at the inside, cut one open to see if there's anything on the inside of them that could be causing? I don't
2: know. All of a sudden, they're just soft
1: and brown. Like. Complete rotting <laughs> okay so what I'm going to ask is there is a um, uh, a product or not a product there is a um, sort of a disease it's a bacterial product that's or bacterial effect that you get with some onions and I think it's called if I remember right it's called soft rot so when you're picking them um, if you can try be sure not to pick the onions if they have become to, if there's sprout sprouting that's in there but the signs of um, is the soft the signs of often of soft rot on onions? Is the softness of the neck at the bulb that's happening? So okay. if they could be maybe harvested a little sooner, that's on there, and to help prevent it, are you doing crop rotation or are you planting in the same area?
2: No, different areas all the time.
1: Different areas. Hmm. Okay. Well, we're gonna mm. have to. I'm gonna have to sort of dig a little deeper in there for it. That's on it. And uh, it, with onions too as well. Try to avoid the last stages of watering longer when they're getting to the point where they're maturing. So cutting back on that watering before you're lifting and harvesting will maybe help as well. Mm-hmm.
2: That's okay. All
1: okay. So,
2: but like when we plant them, we shouldn't put like anything in the ground before we put the bulb in.
1: Well, if you're planting, you know? sometimes well, there's there's garden sulfur, there's sulfur that you could put into it. But sulfur, um, you you know, it is an amendment that you can put into the soil when you're planting that will help to prevent um, bacterial diseases on the early inset. But you know what? Leave it with me, and I'm gonna we're gonna find out some more answers because I'm just trying to think of some other of things that it could be. Okay. Okay. Yep. We'll do. Thanks. Okay, you're welcome. I'm sorry I couldn't give you the solid okay. thing, but I just don't want to give the wrong answer. Mm-hmm. And uh if anyone's out there that has onions, that has had experiences with soft rot, sometimes there's some other um knowledge that's out there. Okay? Okay, thank you. Okay, Bye. you're very welcome. Thank you for calling in. You know what? There's sometimes, and you stump me. We learn together, and I'm the first to admit that if I don't know, I'm going to find out because it's almost like flipping through and learning more about gardening. Let's go right back to lines. Richard is waiting. Hi, Richard. Good morning.
0: Good morning. Good morning.
1: Morning. How how can we help you on the Lawn and Garden Journal? Yeah. I got through. Uh. Richard, you're very hard to hear online. Oh um. I you know what this uh, I think you may have to try calling back on another line. I think we're we can barely hear you that's on there, so I'm sorry, Richard, if you can try on your line on a different one, uh, we couldn't get the service, and I could barely hear you that's on there, so sorry. We'll try and see if there's a question that you can have, or if you're relaying it through to the front desk or through Eva, maybe she can pass it on as a question to me. So September, what do we do in September? This is the portion of it where I have a whole list because it's been a few weeks since we've been able to communicate and talk and talk about gardening. So A, the first thing I saw was in when I was coming to work today, rabbits. Okay, this is one of the issues that now that the grasses are green, I'm happy to say that the rabbit that has been eating uh, my muskmelons and my zucchinis has now moved to sort of the lawn and the grass, which felt wonderful to be able to cut the other day because there's that fresh scent of green grass. I didn't like lifting it because it was a little heavier, but I felt the coolness in my feet walking through it and I was happy to say that the bunnies were now moving into that. But I had to say because I i think I mentioned a few weeks ago that we had baby bunnies in our yard and being absent from home for a little bit I come back and I'm like hang on a minute these guys have not grown. I have more baby bunnies that are in the yard and there was a couple things that were in there and I'm thinking how often do you get bunnies? So I kind of thought you know, it's great that they're helping me with the lawn, and I kind of found out that, that—did you know that a rabbit chews 120 times a minute, and that he has over 17,000 taste buds in his mouth? That's a lot of grass—that's there or lawn that they're doing—and I was kind of um, not happy to say that a rabbit could probably have up to many litters of baby rabbits in the, and in one cycle that's on it. And that a baby rabbit, once a rabbit's given birth, it can actually have another set of bunnies going along inside of it. So that did not make me happy at all. They're cute, and the granddaughters will be loving to see the little bunnies, but that's in there. My one fact that I would like to get to is that the rabbits, now that they're becoming a little bit more adventurous, It's giving me a clue to think of the tasks that I'm going to have to do. So maybe on your calendars of things to do before the winter actually hits is to make note of the areas that you're going to want to protect uh, against the rabbits. These are your apple trees. These are your fruiting trees. Maybe, yes, my hydrangeas were hit hard last year by the rabbit damage, and I'll be taking measures to make sure. So it's almost creating this diary of things to do in the garden. That's one of them. All right, so the other thing that we're doing is with September, has anyone thought about getting back in the garden and planting again? September is this time where we talked about maybe okay, we spoke to Mary about planting her roses, but the fall is actually a great time for putting in trees and shrubs it's a great time for splitting and dividing and moving your perennials. There may be a time where that you have a review of looking at your gardens and sort of seeing where we want things, how we want them, and where they're going to be placed. Now, it's also the time that I know that we've spoken about harvesting the onions, but it's also the time to start planting our fall bulbs. And this is a sort of a shout out to sort of say, yes, this is the time, because looking at younger gardeners and seeing them come in and saying, I'd like to have those alliums, I've seen these great big tall purple balls on sticks. Those are alliums. And there's a little bit of a disappointment when you think that you see these beautiful spring gardens and that the planting has to be done the previous fall in order to have that show. So the one thing that I know, and if you venture into some of your garden centers right now, you will have a hint of scent that is there. I must say the garlics have arrived. And this is garlic season when planting is going to be going on. So planting of the garlic. So head to your garden center, look for your gar- garlics selection that are out there, whether they are the soft neck varieties, hard neck varieties or even your elephant garlics. So the hardneck varieties have a little bit more of a tendency to be favorable in our neck of the woods that's on there. So if you're looking at it and you may ask what's a hardneck garlic? Well these hardneck varieties if you've never ventured into it they have the longer flowering stem like we call them scapes just like if you're familiar with uh, hostas, where the flower comes up, they have the large scape or the la- large flowers that come up. And when the scapes of them come up, that's when we should be sort of saying when they're starting to grow. Some of them like to we cut back the the hard scapes the on the plant. Okay, uh, the hard necks we actually find on the on the culinary side. Your hard neck garlics are easier to peel and as well they have a little bit more flavor that's on it that's in it and though they may have fewer uh, sort of cloves per head the cloves themselves when you're using the uh, gardening stuff is that they are larger so you're not having to peel all these little types of garlic bulbs, which makes it, they, you know what, it makes it just for a good variety. Now, if you're looking at them, um, some of the varieties, I don't know if anyone is uh, um, looking at the hardneck varieties that are in there, but there are some that if you're looking at them, and some people choose their garlic based on how many, uh, year, yields or production of bulbs that they have, or even medium to large, or even flavors. They play different factors. It's just like as much as we love our tomatoes, there is a whole different category of people who love and then go and delve Deep into the garlics. Now, I want to feature a couple of them because they look so pretty too, even when you're planting them and you're harvesting them to see that outer p- papery peel that's on it. So, if you're looking for one that has a sweet, mellow flavor, and it's also been uh, noted as being a, an award winning type of, um, of garlic head that's on there, it has a beautiful little purple stripe that's to the neck. It's called Chesnock Red. That's in it. So you harvest this in late summer, so you're gonna be storing it and putting it through the winter. So you're gonna be planting that late summer and then do your harvesting. Now one of the ones that is in there that I think is very popular that we see that we have got that some people think that it has a very little bit of a hot taste to it when it's eaten raw. It's great for roasting, it's very popular, it's called music. It's got the porcelain type of white papery that's on it, but it's got massive big cloves that are on it because you're only going to get four to seven that's on it. Now, if you want to venture into some of the more novelty ones like Siberian, um, some of the other ones that I remember is the Yugoslavian um, Mexican purple again is another one that has this beautiful color purple tone that's to it. So there is a whole collection of them. And you know what? I'm not the one that, I must admit, I'm in the garden a lot, but my husband loves the garlic and he loves the cooking, so it does smell beautiful. And if you're ready to go for it, um, if you're looking for some of them, visit, like I said, your garden centers. They will have them in stock now and you'll be able to go through it. And a little bit of a story that's to it too, because when I'm talking about gardening, I have a little story where I used to um, venture with my husband out to uh, Portage La Prairie to visit his baba and she actually gave me a lesson on when she was harvesting some of her garlic to do the garlic braids. So I used to love them, but I do remember that I did bring one home and it had to venture and go into the garden shed to dry, but not in the house. So because it was quite strong that was in there. So the venture into garlic has started. That's on there. Now, it just came through. Um Richard had a question about do I know anything about wild gardening? So is this, uh I guess I would have to venture, and maybe if Richard is uh out there, wild gardening, is it natural gardening or the native gardening, dealing with native seeds that are in there? That I know little about uh, that's on it. So it's it could be a question that we could delve into and have some investigation into it. So I'm sorry Richard I wasn't able to speak with you online but we'll investigate that further for you. So if we're going through the stuff there's the now partnered with garlic is sort of the other aspect that we remember we had talked about the allium and these are beautiful we're not talking about chives. They belong to the same family. So if you're growing chives, you know that you get your beautiful flower heads that are on it. And speaking about chives, I was able to, a few weeks ago, pull up some of my early growing chives. I cleaned them up. And lo and behold, yeah, yesterday I noticed I was moving some of my zucchini leaves that are just going crazy. And my chives are have that renewed energy. They're starting to grow again. So we're back to the garden. We're getting some more herbs going. And remember, some of the flowers of your chives are actually edible that's going it. Now, if you flip into the ornamental side, the ornamental alliums are beautiful when paired with your tulips, which are, again, going to be into the garden centers now. And some of the allium categories that are out there are as favorable for pairing with your tulips, pairing with your daffodils, your narcissus and your crocus. And remember, if you're thinking of the landscape when you're doing a huge landscape design where your border is deeper, you have the opportunity to uh, do some of the alliums which will go up to 40 inches tall and maybe choose some of the dwarf varieties for up close and at the front of your border. That's a conversation to have. Now, Beth is waiting. Hi, Beth. How are you? I'm fine. Thanks, yourself? Very good. Thank you. It's good. It feels so good to be back on, back on the Lawn and Garden Journal with you guys again. Uh, how because, can we help you this morning?
2: Well, uh, that lady that had the rotten uh, rotting onions, she might as well give up because it's a disease. I've had it for years. It just does not change. It doesn't matter what you do. I can't grow
1: them in the garden anymore. Okay, so it's, it's even if you've moved locations, it still comes it had, through, or starting uh, with new bulb sets? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, I'm kind it, of, you it know it what?
2: started a few years back. I never had all uh, before for years of gardening, but I don't know what happened.
1: Yeah, okay, Daddy you know what?
2: Planted my onions I bought, uh, so she planted them in the garden, and she's in town, so I uh, think
1: they're working. Okay. You know what? This is, wor- this is worth sort of looking into it and sort of seeing how this can be happening. If I would, if it I would was... like
2: to know,
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know what? We're going to go into this. We're going to look and sort of see what's happening with our onions out there because on- I love onions. And they cooked... look so good and you pull them up and it's just at the bottom, it works for up. Well, that is, as you know what, that is as disheartening as when you go to pick that nice big red tomato and you turn it over and you find blossom, like the uh, bottom end rot that's on there. Yeah, oh yeah. So, that's discouraging. Now, have you ever, at that, I know that there's opportunity, but... Here it is. I've never experienced that. But is there opportunity where, like your bottom end rot, that you can cut that off, and is the top portion of your onion still usable? Uh, you can hardly usable. save any of it. Oh, okay.
2: Save any of it.
1: I've tried. Yeah. yeah. You crazy. tried. Yeah. I myself, I'd be out there cutting and trying to make onion soup or something with it to just yeah. save that portion of it. Well, I
2: mean, salvage some, but it's just a—it's really awful.
1: It's not good. Okay. So I think we need to delve into this. I think we, we're going well, to try and... I you
2: could, and, um, please let me know.
1: <laughs> well, I'm putting... Now I have two stars beside the Onion Conversation, so we know that this is going to be... Should we call it a hot topic?
2: <laughs> yes, yes I'd be, I think it would be nice to know what could be done for it.
1: Yes, I truly agree with yes, you because I if it's happening...
2: I in my role. Sorry, I missed that. I put epsom salts in the roll before I plant them.
1: Yeah. And still you get the, oh, the onion rot. Prevent, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. But one lady so,
2: told me, I don't know if I should say that on the <laughs> told me uh, to use it because then it would, they would poop themselves to death. Oh!
1: <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Answer. Well... We have talked about, uh, turkey trot and chicken trot and, yeah. uh, <laughs> and, uh, cow patty. So I think, you know, Epsom salt. Yeah, Well, <laughs> it's, it's part of that. Well, it's, you know what? Um, it's part of everything has to go.
2: <laughs> yeah. And it, it, were, you know, it's funny, but my multipliers
1: do not develop that. Wow. So, okay. Do you know the variety of the onion that you planted? No. Okay. Just picked
2: up a packet from the garden center.
1: Yeah. Okay. So your multipliers don't get it, but you're full out. And is it a Spanish onion that you're planting?
2: And they multipliers have. And this year I left mine quite a long time. And oh, I don't know. They'd be two inches in diameter, so they're pretty big. You know, for multipliers. Yeah. And they're fine.
1: Well, they they could belong into two different families, which could be part and parcel right. of that. But leave it with us, and um, we'll see what we can find out for everyone. Okay, thanks a lot. Okay, you're welcome. Thank you for calling into the Lawn and Garden Journal. Thank you, everyone, for dialing in to the Lawn and Garden Journal. It feels good to be back. We'll be back next Saturday. So have a great, safe, happy long weekend. Bye-bye, everyone.